This is Neil Smith, and you are listening to Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus podcast. My name's Matt Boisclair and well, Fulham threw two points away at the Cottage on Saturday lunchtime when having taken the lead through a fantastic Anthony knockout goal, Marcus Bessinelli flapped at a corner that he should have easily claimed. We snatched a draw from the jaws of victory. Should Bessinelli be dropped? We'll discuss that and all the fallout from the game, plus we have a quiz. But first, thanks to Neil Smith for opening the show. Neil made 90 appearances during the late 90s and was one of the first signings of the Al Fayed era. He played a key role in our first 101 points promotion under Kevin Keegan, which helped us on our way to the Premier League. Check out Danny's Q&A with Neil on our website, fullandfocus.com, where the former midfielder looks back at his career in South West Six and explains his pride at being able to say he played for the same club as his childhood heroes, such as George Best, Bobby Moore and Alan Mullery. Neil Smith, we salute you. A winning team should never be changed, and that is why joining me this week once again is a man for whom Fulham's greatest success always happens when he's as far away from the ground as possible. That's why we're starting a crown fund to get Morgan back to Australia. Hashtag send him back. It's Morgan Cowson. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Appreciate that. Thanks. (laughs) Good. Good to speak to you again. Just to say that any donations to the Sending Back campaign should be sent in for the attention of Matt Boisclair and should be exclusively in cash only. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, joining me is Moncton FC's answer to Fabry. Moncton have lost every game they've played this season, but they've no other keeper, so they're stuck with this guy until they can find a shit Spanish replacement. It's Stato, Matt Arthur. <laughs> Hello, Hugh. <you're right. laughs> How'd you get on today? Uh, it was a it was a three two loss. We're still searching for that first win, but you know it's coming. It's coming. We that could do a whole so, we could do a whole different podcast about Moncton, but you know let's focus on Fulham for now. <laughs> and, and we get even less listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, let's get into the West Brom review then. So the surprise in the starting lineup was Bobby Reed in a midfield three alongside Harrison Reed and Tom Kearney. We thought Steph Joe would start. How do you think this midfield worked out, Stato? Um, I think um, at the beginning it worked quite well. When I first saw the lineup, I did have some reservations about it. I wasn't sure having both Bobby Reed and Kearney in a midfield. You know, it looked a bit unbalanced for my liking. But you know, particularly in the first half, Harrison Reed he he held his own. He did all the defensive work, and he kind of connected the midfield to def- uh, the attack to defence quite well. Um, and obviously in the second half, it, as players were tiring and as the game went on, the different the the gaps did start to show, and I think changes should have come sooner. Do you think though that uh, a midfield containing Bobby Reed, Harrison Reed, and Tom Kearney just doesn't really provide enough protection for the for the defence? Because we've gone from a, a lineup against Cardiff, which contained Arta and Harrison Reed, to one, to, you know, two, two arguably defensive, defensive-minded players, to a midfield that contains just one defensive-minded player and two more attacking players. 
Yeah, um, it's quite a weird one, uh, considering you, you look at Cardiff and West Brom and think they're similar opposition in terms of level, you know, in terms of two teams that should be fighting for promotion. Granted, we were away at one, we were at home at one. But it was just a bit weird on Parker's behalf to, you know, go from two defensive midfielders um, to two attacking midfielders, particularly against West Brom, who are a team who are probably a bit less direct than than Cardiff. So, you know, you'd expect us to have a bit more defensive um, but like I said, it, it worked okay in the first half. It was just in the second, it, you know, players just tied a bit and the gap started to show. Yeah. What, what do you think, Morgs? Were you surprised not to see Steph Joe in the in the starting lineup and Bobby Reed playing? Because Bobby Reed, for me, he he didn't really play much in midfield. It almost seemed like we were playing, I don't know, four up front at times. Yeah, I was thinking that. I mean, I thought. First off, I thought Harrison Reed was exceptional yesterday. I thought he had an absolutely brilliant game, um, and he really sort of came in his uh, came into his own uh, in that Arta role. Uh, which I think, had it been K-Mac, I think we would have been overrun because I think you know he offered you know a bit more pace as well. But with when your two other sort of central midfield partners are much more attacking, you're going to be left exposed. And I think Bobby Reed tried to sort of play that traditional centre midfield role I don't think he quite had it I think you know the first few minutes I think he was really getting used to where he was on the pitch it came into a little bit as the half went on but mainly in a more attacking sense um a few passes were going sort of all over the place and whatnot but you know he was he was doing okay I think one of the sort of issues were that if you have only the one holding midfielder, but then two attacking midfielders, along with those two very attacking wingers who you know aren't going to do much defensively, you really do leave yourself exposed. But I guess the way that Fulham play is very possession-minded. So Parker's mentality may have been, well, we're going to have most of the ball. So let's you know, have five defensively-minded players, five attacking-minded players, and see how it goes. And had it not been for the fact that you know we weren't creating huge amounts of clear-cut chances but I think the idea was let's get a few on the board um, and uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. Yeah I mean we we did look like we were in the ascendancy for most of that first half certainly and we did not look like we were under any threat so the fact that we did have those extra attacking players in midfield didn't really cost us um, go, going on to your point about Harrison Reed, he he played a fantastic through ball for for a defensive midfielder. Defence splitting pass through to Kearney. Kearney threw on goal, and he probably should have opened the scoring, but he hit the crossbar. If that falls to Cavalero or Knockart, surely that's one nil, isn't it, Stato? Um, you know, with that chance, it fell to Kearney on his left foot. And given how good his left foot is, you would have, you would have expected him to score. To be honest, you know. Knockout, yeah, you you would you'd expect Knockout to score. You'd expect Micho to score. Cavalero, yeah, probably. I, I, I don't know. Did did Johnson get a touch on that? Well, I'm not sure if he did or not. But it looked it looked like he did. But it was given as a goal kick. Kearney was exasperated, wasn't he? He was right in the referee's face. So surely that's a corner. It was unfortunate, but you know, really, you know, as soon as I saw Kearney through and go, it's like, yeah, he's got he's scoring. It's on his left foot, and yeah, it was just a bad miss from him, I think. Yeah, and he's put his foot through it. I, I thought it was going to be straight in the back of the net, but unfortunately, unfortunately, it hit the crossbar and, and bounced away. But yeah, that, that should have been one nil. Um, speaking of Sam Johnston, the the um, the West Brom goalkeeper, he's he's 
kind of put his ghost to bed a little bit uh, or la- laid his ghost to rest because last time he was at the cottage, he let that goal in from Floyd Ayite after his awful uh, mishap with it, with that free kick. Um, but he did well to keep out a Bobby Reed header. After that, Charlie Austin probably should have scored when uh, we left him unmarked in the six-yard box, and he he opted to go for a, a flying volley and put it over the bar when he was when you know when he was unmarked. I felt at times we looked frustrated in the first half um, and restricted to playing some unsuccessful long balls, which which I kind of think goes against the philosophy that Scott Park has been trying to implement recently. You know, the kind of patient philosophy, pass it across, uh, sideways passing, try and wait for those gaps to appear. Do you think the side need to be more disciplined and patient to to bring in Parker's philosophy? Or would you like to see more variety, i.e. those cross-field passes, trying to pick out out the wingers? What do you think, Morgs? I think we need to have a bit more variety in our play. I think this whole uh, possession style of football is great. Uh, It really does have a time and a place, but I do think that we need to um, mix it up a little bit. when you are playing that kind of style of football, teams will be able to deal with it. And if, you know, as the season draws on, uh, as it goes on, I think if we carry on playing with purely possession, short passing, the teams are just going to part the bus and it will frustrate us. And as they frustrate us, you know, they're counterattacking, you know, as we saw from West Brom yesterday, we'll get slightly more intense. And I think if we're able to sort of start putting longer balls in as well, then I think teams will start to get a little bit more wary about our play and go, hang on a minute, they're not just a one-trick pony. So I think it is good to see, um, you know, these different types of passes coming in. You see, you could see them sort of every now and then when there was needed, uh, a, you know, a long ball was played. And I think that was kind of a bit of a breath of fresh air. Um, I, you know, I love to see us play proper football as it were, but I also do understand the necessity for not, especially in the championship, not playing just that one type. You're right. Yeah, we we don't want to be labelled as a one-trick pony. And we, that, that kind of happened under Slavisa, didn't it, at times? But if um, if we can vary it up a little bit and, and bring more players into the game, which we'll come on to uh, in a few minutes, then that, that can only be beneficial. So... The first half ended nil-nil, but right after half-time, Knockout scored an absolutely fantastic goal. I think he can be quite selfish at times, and often I feel like he takes too many touches of the ball, but but this finish was Dempsey-esque, wasn't it? Stato, talk, talk us through the Fulham goal. When he scored the goal in the team chat, uh, I said like he meant that, and then uh, later on, when he did an interview, he said he actually meant for a cross, but hey, it was a, it was a great goal. And it was very much Dempsey-esque. I looked at it and it's like, oh, it was just a mirror image of what Dempsey did. I thought, you know, he, the build-up to the goal was very good. Um, you could see, you know, at that point in the game, we were kind of growing in confidence. We were kind of peppering their goal at the start of that second half. And a goal was coming and we didn't expect it to come like that, but it did, as and we'll take it. <laughs> and yeah, you know, really from that point, I was kind of hoping we'd kind of try and get a second one, but we didn't really, did we? We kind of just sat back a lot of the time after that first goal. Yeah, a second goal would would have been awesome. I, I just want to pull this back, though, and just, just talk about the selfishness that I kind of alluded to when I was talking about Knockhart hmm. uh, a moment ago. Um, I feel that both Knockhart and Cavalero can both be quite selfish at times. A lot of our attacks are coming through both of those on the wings, and the pair of them like to cut back in 
and often they do shoot. Yet we've got the best striker in the league in the middle who often looks isolated. I feel like it can be quite detrimental, our style of play at the moment, and it completely passes Mitro by at, at times, especially when those two are on the ball. I feel like we should be building our whole style around Mitrovic. Yeah, what, what do you think, Stato? Do you, do you think that do you think that Mitro needs to impose himself more on the game, or do you think that our style at the moment is just not set up particularly to suit him? Um, it's a very good question. I think. Other than the season when we went up, he's had a bit of a tough time because when we were in the Premier League, it was just hoofing it up to him and he was he was isolated. And now we've got a system where we do pass it around, but then he's got two wide men who are very good wide men, probably the best wide men in the division, who do kind of like to be a bit selfish and don't release it um, when they should be releasing it, getting more crosses in. I mean, with all, of, all the fancy build-up play we have, uh, I can't recall us ever putting that many crosses into the box at all. And when you have a player like Mitrovic, a big player who can win the headers and get those tap-ins, I feel we kind of need that a bit more. And it is a bit frustrating when Nocart and Caballero just kind of do the classic uh, cut-in and then take a shot. Um, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, we've got two quality wingers. Um, the problem is, I think they've been signed as creative outlets. But as as players they are naturally quite selfish um and you know they're still excellent excellent players but i think they have a lot to learn um in order to sort of work within our system you know we need to get the ball more to metro yeah that, that is clear i mean he looked so isolated yesterday and the more if we get the ball to him in good goal scoring positions he will score you know there is no worry about that it's not like sort of you know if we had ak uh you know Abubakar playing up front, you know, and you get the ball to him in good position, you know, there's a one in ten chance he might hit the net. But in this case, we are missing, you know, the best opportunity to get, uh, you know, a goal uh, goals in the games by not playing to Mitro's strengths. So I think, you know, this week we have a full week of training. There's no internationals. There's no midweek games. I think Parker and his coaching staff are going to have to start drumming into the to Nokar and Cavallero that was yes their ability to create chances for themselves as well as uh, they need to start sort of putting chances for other players and we've seen them both score incredible goals and that's brilliant but it's not just about them and I think uh, Nokar is more guilty of that than Cavallero I think Cavallero is um, you know he's doing his best to create opportunities for other people. You know, his passing has um, improved as well. I think Knockhart, there's a few times we've seen him yesterday where his passes are a little bit lazy. They're not, you know, or you know, even his shooting was a way off a couple of times. But, uh, you know, I think if we get them to start playing to our strengths as well as theirs, I think we'll see two incredibly dangerous players. I'd agree. Um, and just looking, well, looking, comparing it to our promotion season, Micho was kind of playing with um, Cess and mainly Piazon or Aite a lot of the time. And they were kind of very unselfish players, particularly Cess. Um, obviously, Cess got a bunch of goals for us to pick out Micho, and as would Aite and Piazon. And, you know, you can argue that Cavalera and Knockout are the, are the better players in this division than the ones just mentioned. But, you know, that doesn't eliminate the selfishness that they have and the lack of chances that creates for Mitrovic. I was going to say, I mean, obviously, having seen Bobby Reid play where he was yesterday, 
they clearly sort of see him as a sort of player that is there to distribute to other players. Then maybe, mm. I mean, this is why he was signed, I think, was to play within that front three. But obviously, you know, when you've got Cavalera Knockout playing, you know, pretty well, you know, aside from these issues, I think, you know, seeing him play in one of those two wing positions uh, would be a, a different a different game, really. Do you think a change in formation might help? Because <clears throat> I, I wonder if a 4-4-2 with... Knockart and Cavalero playing as out-and-out wingers with Bobby Reed and Mitro up front might might bring us more luck. What do you think? Well, I don't. I think it's too early in the season to um, imagine that Parker be looking to change formation. I think. I think you're right. I think that could be uh, an interesting way of doing it. I think Mitro could actually benefit from having a strike partner who would be play slightly more off him. But I think we're going to be seeing this formation for quite a while now. And I think it's just really up to um, Parker and the coaching team to make sure that, you know, Cavalera and Knockart know what they're there for. Uh, don't stifle their creativity, but say, look, when you're, when you're on the ball, look for Mitro, look for those other players. Don't just think you have to do it all yourself because you're not in a team with, you know, nine other players that you're having to carry you're in a really good team these players technically should be some of the best in the league so trust them give them the ball and we'll you know we'll get the points I think also with a 4-4-2 I don't think because you know we then be looking at Kearney in one of the two midfield spaces and I think I don't think Kearney works well in a 4-4-2 um we, we almost played it yesterday um to be honest oh, in the match um you know, it was kind of Reed as the sole midfielder, Kearney kind of advancing, and then Bobby B playing off Mitro almost. So it's almost like a 4 1 4 1. So, you know, if we do go 4 4 2, that could pose the question of do we maybe bench Kearney for a bit? If we go for knockout Cavalero on the wings, Reed, Mitro up top, do we play, I don't know, Reed and Artem in midfield? You know, would that work quite well at the expense of Kearney? I personally, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I, I, I wouldn't. Think... I can't. I can't see Kenny being dropped at all. I mean, no, no, not, he hasn't. Not, done not at this point. I think, and also, I think Harrison Reed played himself into the first team yesterday. So it's going to be. I mean, it's an interesting conundrum now because we've got some really good players, but ultimately, Knockart and Cavalera are those creative outlets. But I think they could be in danger of losing their place, not permanently, but I think they could lose their place uh, if they don't start. Um, you know hitting me being slightly more uh, team players, you know, despite the goals they have scored. It's almost like the same problem that the England team had almost 15 years ago when (laughs) you've got so many good players in the same squad and how do you fit them all in or do you fit them all in or does somebody just have to miss out and you just, you have to pick the the best combination of players and that's the answer, but it's just finding what that, that combination of players is. I think the the best combination of players. So I don't, I don't think we're quite there yet because I don't, I don't feel like Bobby Reed's best position is central midfield. No, I would, I wouldn't be stunning Bobby Reed next game. I think he looked a little bit weaker than the rest of them. Um, You know, we'll have Arta back. I think, you know, I'd be paying, Against Sheffield Wednesday, I mean, we'll get on to them, but I mean, they are a good team. And I would be having sort of Arta and Reed playing, you know, slightly more defensively, allowing Kearney to do a bit more. Um, but yeah, I think um, Reed will be sort of uh, back on the bench next time around. 
the thing with the thing with Bobby Reed is, you know, we've bought him. He, he predominantly plays as a striker or a winger or an attacking midfielder. So you look at our current, you know, front four of Mitro, Cav, Knockout, Kenny. You know, do you play him in front of Mitro? No, of course you don't. It's Mitro. You know, do you, would you play him instead of Kearney? Well, probably not. Kearney's a bit of a legend. He's our club captain and, you know, he bosses it in this division. So then you look at the wings and, you know, Knockhart and Cavalera, they're not exactly out of form at the moment. You know, they are scoring goals. But, you know, there's probably uh, scope or space there to maybe switch one of them out for Reed at some point. All right, guys, let, let's move on. So speaking of Bobby Reed, he came close to a second goal for Fulham. Um, when uh, Sam Johnson messed around with it at the back and the ball broke to Bobby Reed, his shot was well saved by by Sam Johnson, and then shortly afterwards, uh, the ball ended up in the back of our net. Let's let's come on to that equaliser, and I've got two points to make here. Bessinelli has made yet another mistake, dropping a corner onto the head of Ajayi. Uh, for me, he's made too many costly mistakes this season, and it's time for somebody else to have a go. Uh, Morgs, what do you think? Bessinelli in, Bessinelli out. How many chances um, does he get? I'm, I'm firmly in the Bessinelli out camp. Um, I think he's a, a great servant to the club. I don't think he's improved much in his years. Um, you know, I feel harsh sort of criticising anyone that much, but he's. I just don't think he's a good goalkeeper. Well, no, no, sorry, that's that's wrong. I think he's an average keeper. I think. We need someone better, um, considering what we're trying to do. I think last season when we signed two keepers, everyone was a bit shocked. But, you know, is he good enough for the Premier League? I don't think he was. Is he good enough for the Championship? I think he is, but for a mid-table side. And I think um, in the summer, we should have gone looking for a new keeper. I'm pretty sure, considering the fact we were signing loan players um, due to financial fair play, I don't think there was a budget for a new keeper. And I think, um, you know, Tony Khan probably played a little bit to the one of our own sort of uh, lovers, as it were. You know, he's he's just really, he hasn't done enough in since he's played to really sort of constitute, sort of merit a starting berth. And he's pretty much got it in the bag this season. Oh, but I think Rodak... It's going to be pushing him. I don't know how they train, you know, sort of like well, what Parker's picking them on. Um, but I think it is time to give either Rodak a look or, well, I mean, we only have that choice. It's going to be, Rodak's going to be the only choice uh, until the January transfer window. And I'm pretty sure we're not going to be looking to buy a new keeper then. So I'd give Rodak a go from what we hear from Rotherham fans. He, you know, he's played well for them despite them being relegated. I uh, got the promoter the year before. But I think it's time for a change. And, you know, we we will see how that goes. I think when bets came in in the championship, uh, you know, as our yarn beaten run started, it was in place for a very disjointed David Button. Um, so anyone was going to look better than that. You know, I just don't rate him that highly, I guess. It's interesting what you say about uh, Bettinelli being a good championship goalkeeper for a mid-table side, because the way we're going at the moment, if he keeps throwing goals away, then we, that's where we're going to be ultimately. We've he's, he, Arguably, he should have saved the, the goal against Cardiff. He definitely shouldn't have, have let that one slip through his fingers yesterday. Stato, quickly come in on this. What do you think? Bettinelli in or Bettinelli out? Bettinelli kind of got his chance. 
and it all happened during that season with McGaff. Started um, Jesse joining and go, and he wasn't that great to be honest. Um, so then Bethany got his chance, and he was kind of um, rotating with Barley. And you know, we kind of we we all took a liking to him because you know he, he like I said he was one of our own. He was playing well since he started playing all those years ago. Is that he has the odd good game and he makes the odd great save, but he always does have a little mistake in him like that. And then obviously when Slav was in charge, you know, the two, the year when we got to the playoffs and lost and the year we got to the playoffs and won, I don't think Bet, st- Bet started either of those seasons. We had Lonergan one year and then Button the other. And, you know, maybe that was a warning sign that, you know, Slav doesn't make this keep and Lonergan, they, they too are also inconsistent. So Bet was kind of the best we had. And then, yeah, we signed those two keepers when we got to the Premier League. And there's a lot of fan outrage because Betts wasn't starting because he was one of the heroes of Wembley. There's that iconic picture of him like running with that flair. And, you know, all fans have started over these two new goalkeepers. So, you know, it's a bit, I think Slav went a long way. Probably Betts should have started those first few games and then you know, bring in Rico or Fabri after that. All right, my, my second point is um, it's all very well blaming Bettinelli, but we had 13 corners in this game compared to West Brom's three, and many didn't even make it past the first man. Cavalero and Knockart really need to up their game here, don't they? It's, it's not good enough that we concede from a corner and don't take advantage of a far superior amount of corners, Morgs. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we can blame uh, Bettinelli for how the goal was conceded, but reality is we had another you know 70 plus possession game and we didn't you know we didn't score more than one goal our corners were atrocious i think the only real decent corner came after knockart had scored and i guess his confidence was high but our, i mean around our, in the first half it was it was atrocious it's like you know you're a professional footballer it's not that hard to beat the first man or, you know, put a decent ball in. When you have that many, I think, I can't remember how many it was, but it was like, you know, 11, 11 shots and goal. It was like seven corners or something like that. But it's just, it's not acceptable uh, of players of this level to put uh, corner after corner in the wrong place or into the first man of defence. So I think, you know, that is definitely something they need to be working on. I mean, we've never been particularly good at corners, but there's no reason why we can't be now. So I think they need to really sort that out because it is a perfect opportunity. With the way that we play, we're always going to get a lot of corners or attacking set pieces, and we need to be capitalising on them because right now that's going to let us down big time. Yeah, and that's, that's my point. I mean, we're we're going to really blame Bettinelli for the fact that we haven't won this, but we could arguably have been out of sight by the time that West Brom even get that corner if if we'd have been more ruthless with our corners. I also felt that with about 20 minutes to go, a sensible substitution would have been to bring Stefan Johansson on for either Knockart or Cavalero. Instead, Onoma came on for uh, for Bobby Reed making his debut five minutes from the end. It just felt like a bit of a negative change, like we were trying to see the game out of this time. What, what do you think, Stato? Um, I think the Onoma change was just a bit of a like-for-like, like, to be honest. And yeah, it was kind of a bit pointless with five minutes left, to be honest. You mentioned just then that, you know, we blame Bettinelli for the for the draw, but, you know, I equally blame Parker for what happened as well. You know, the fact that we were 1-0 up and, you know, we were in 70 minutes and we still have Bobby Reid, Tom Kearney and Harrison Reid as our midfielders. Harrison Reid, who's done an excellent job and he's getting tired. 
and you have Stefan Johansson and you have Kevin McDonald on the bench and you don't use them. I mean, surely you, know, you don't have to be the, you know, a football genius to realise that, you know, there's 20 minutes left and West Brom are getting back into the game. Bring on Steph Joe or bring on K-Mac, properly Steph Joe actually, you know, to give some legs in the midfield and, you know, to try and give Harrison Reed some support. And it was just a bit bizarre, to be honest. And then equally, if you are looking for that second goal, bring on Abuba cards for either Cavalero or Knockout and just let him run at the defence. It was just a bit of a weird move from Parker, to be honest, that why he doesn't make any changes. And I've noticed in a few of his matches, um, you know, he doesn't like making that many changes. Or when he does, he does it late on. And I think... Is that naivety from Parker? I mean, I agree with you. I think sort of um, there were there was that point towards the end of the game where Abubakar would have been an ideal introduction to it. And I won't say that very often because, I, you know, I don't think as a player he's that good. Um, but I think that was the perfect one for him because he could have come in, added something a little bit different. Uh, the, little, the sort of his style of play is very suited to tiring defenders. You know, he may not be the most talented, but he will cause issues. And the fact that he left it to the 84th minute to bring another player on is just baffling because, yes, we were winning. And, you know, you don't want to sort of mix things up too much if we're defending a 1-0 lead. But at the same time, the players were clearly getting tired. And with West Brom's three subs that he brought on, I mean, Robson Carnu was causing issues. And it was sort of a, you know, you need to bring fresh legs on just to be able to deal with, you know, counteract the, um, you know, the West Brom subs. So it really didn't make a lot of sense. I don't know if it was a bit of managerial naivety, you know, young manager and all that, but he's been doing this long enough now. I've been playing long enough to understand that if you don't change the players up, there are going to be some that are tired in there because they run themselves ragged. And I think, it will, you know, he needs to learn from that big time. And hopefully, hopefully he has. Yeah, that, that leads on nicely into my next point, actually, because in injury time, I noticed West Brom, they broke and they really looked like they were going for it. The players were really going hell for leather to get over the halfway line and support the attack. Eventually, their attack broke down and we had a chance to break, but we looked really lethargic and didn't really compare in any way, shape or form to the way that, uh, the, the way that West Brom were trying to break forward. I feel like had we bought on Kamara, then that might have shown some some intent to still win it. But as it was, it was almost like we were, we were like, OK, well, we've conceded an equaliser here. We'll, we'll see the game out and get a point. Yeah, and after West Brom did score the equaliser, there wasn't really any intent for us to try and go back out in the lead again. And again, you can attribute that to Parker not making changes because, you know, our the team out there were probably getting a bit tired and probably a bit fatigued. And yeah, Kamara would have been ideal. I mean, he would have probably given us that last minute chance if we would have burst into the box. Had he finished it or got a shot on target, you know, that is another question. But, you know, at least we would have got that chance or at least we would have had something. And it's just a bit weird that Parker opted to do nothing and just kind of sit on what we had and believe that the current 11 players that we had out there were the best players at that point in time. I think it's also a bit strange that he left Knockart and Cavalero on for that long, knowing that Mitro being under service through the game. And, you know, Kamara, yeah, okay. He, I mean, to be fair, he set up Mitro's goal against um, wherever it was the other week, Forrest. 
And, you know, there's, you know, there was a really good opportunity to bring Mitro a little bit more into the game by bringing in a player who he'd spoken to on the sideline and said, this is what we need to do. We've got five minutes left or however long when he put him on and said, you know, this is what you need to get the ball to him in the penalty area and we will score. But he didn't. So, and that is one of the reasons why I think we've only got one point out of this game. All right, well, let's let's end on a positive then. We've mentioned him already, Harrison Reed. He was he was given the the man of the match on Sky, I believe. Um, he looked excellent in the Harriata role, as you guys have already alluded to. But that really gives Parker a potential selection headache now for the next game, doesn't it, Stato? Uh, yeah, definitely. Particularly that Harriata started so well was you know as well in the games that he played, and you know you could look. They both did start against Cardiff, and the thing is they didn't quite work as effectively as you'd have liked because they kind of cancelled each other out. They're a bit too defensive, both of them. And well, we put Reed in the defensive midfield role when we put Arta in the Steph Joe role, which Steph Joe plays better at than Arta. Um, you know, Reed definitely deserves to start the next game based on his performance last week. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Steph Joe start again, to be honest. I, I would love to see Reed, Steph Joe and Kearney. I think that could be quite effective. Um but then, yeah, there's also, you can't really rule out Arta based on how well he's been playing. It's a tough one. I think it's just, you know, they're clear. Reed and uh, Arta are clearly the better version of Gerald and Lampard. And, you know, it's, you know, we want them both in the team, but can they play together? Oh, That's the thing, isn't it? Well, time will tell, I guess. All right, I'm going to ask you this question. I probably know the answer already, but overall, are you satisfied with the point from that game, given that West Brom still remain um, un- unbeaten? I'm not satisfied. I felt like we should have won that game comfortably. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we really should have won that game. Um, we now, you know, our records now, we've played seven, we won three, drawn two, lost two. It puts us in 11th place and, you know, that's not really good enough considering the calibre of the squad we have. I don't want to sound like an entitled fan that thinks we should be near the top of the league, but you know, look at that squad and look at that compared to other team squads in that league and look at the teams above us. We really should be higher than that and we really should have won you know, against West Brom. You know, and same as you guys, I'm, I'm not satisfied with the point. I think we played some really good football Again, and I think we'll continue to play uh, play some really good football, but we need to stop making these silly errors. We need to start making more of our possession, and you know it will. It, we always said it was going to take time. A team that comes down from the Premier League does not automatically mean they are one of the best three in the Championship. And the fact is, we're coming out playing some very positive football, uh, a new style, and I think whilst you know we. We are seeing us play it effectively, but it needs to be tweaked a little bit to make sure that we don't come sort of the next few games and miss out on points in the same manner. Because as we, you know, missing out on two points here, two points there, you know, an unlucky loss somewhere, you know, by January, you're out of the promotion race and you're having to rely on making the playoffs. And we've, you know, although I'd like to make it to Wembley next time, uh, this is not the route that we want to go. If we get to Wembley, you ain't coming. Right, okay. Yeah, put my holiday. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's end on a um, on a Scott Parker rating then. Stato, out of 10 for Scott Parker? Um, I'm going to be quite harsh today. I think I'm going to give him a, a three. He should have made right, changes. Right. 
Uh, he, he was a bit naive. I think, although he started well, we, you know, he should have reacted uh, to the changes that West Brom made, or he should have, you know, anticipated changes that West Brom were making. And, you know, I said in the last podcast that, you know, if we don't win this game, there could be you know, a few murmurs of Park around. And I was looking through comments on Twitter and you know, there's a few people there starting to say that he's out of his depth. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's, you know, we're a team that has a great squad, but a manager that doesn't know what to do with it. And, you know, I think the next few games, we really do need to start to win. You know, I think if we're not at least in the playoff places by say 11 12 games in which would be about a quarter of the way through the season then i think you know parker he will be under pressure and i think we have a lot to answer for okay and morgs what about you out of 10 uh well i kind of i feel like i'm being sort of a little bit negative over the whole thing despite the fact we did actually play well for a lot of the game but i you know i am going to give him a four in this mainly because his lack of substitutions, I think, really hurt us uh, when we were up against it a little bit towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the game. And I think he had said he is still learning as a manager. And I think uh, we will give him a bit of time. I don't think the Khans want to make any rash judgments, but I think these are the sort of games that he needs to learn from. So I think, you know, he's had plenty of games where we think, yeah, he's done really well. I think playing Harrison Reed there and taking a chance, well, not taking a chance, but, you know, going with him over someone of our more established players was a good move. But I think there are a lot of things in there that certainly need improvement. I think you guys are being really harsh with a three and a four. I, I, I'd go six. Um, and and I think if Kenny takes that chance, knockout scores his goal, that's two nil. We, we're a bit more ruthless from corners we take advantage of that possession and, you know, we, we could be well out of sight and, you know, it completely changes the game, you know, potentially we wouldn't need to make the changes that we, we ended up needing to actually make that we didn't. So um, I know it's all ifs, buts and maybes and it's, it's such fine margins, but I don't think he was that far away. So I'm going with a six. Yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah. kind. I think the thing is though, like, Me, mate, I'm all heart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, guys, let's let's put that game to bed then. Let's let's have a quiz. Fulham. All right, it's Danny Boy's quiz. Round one, home sweet home. We've ranked the 44 clubs in the current top two divisions in order based on who has been in their current home for the longest period. All you have to do is tell us the top ten, and you'll have five guesses each. If you give me the top answer. You'll receive 10 points, 9 points for the second highest, 8 points for the third, etc., going down to 1 point for the final answer in the top 10. So it's in your interest to aim for the best possible answer as opposed to playing it safe. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, right. So, Stato, I'm going to come to you first. Have a guess. Um, Burnley at Turf Moor. Burnley is a great shout. They are second in the list. They've been in their home since 1883, so that's nine points to you. Get in there. Well played. Uh, the, the, the name Stato kind of like makes feel it's going to be a, a, bit, a bit unfair in this one. Yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with uh, Everton at Goodison. Everton is another good shout. They are ninth, so that's two points for you. 
and they've uh, been at Goodison since 1892. Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday are not on the list of the top ten, I'm afraid, mate. Sorry. Morgs. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Sheffield United. Sheffield United is a great shout. They are fifth. They've been at Bramall Lane since 1889, and that's six points to you. Well played. Um I'm just going to say Fulham. <laughs> Fulham are on the list. They are 10th. That we've been at Craven Cottage since 1896. So that's one point to you. Well done, mate. Uh, Liverpool. Liverpool, yep. Yeah, Anfield. They've been at Anfield since 1892. Um, so that is four points to you. Well done. Of course, Am- Anfield was originally Everton's home as well between 1884 to 1892. Danny's geek stats. Um, guess number four for you, mate. Yeah, I'm going to do an outside guess here. Luton. That is very outside. Um, that's actually, okay. There's no points for it, but I will, um, I'll come <laughs> on to that in a minute. They're, they're not in the top ten, I'm afraid. Um... Chelsea. Chelsea are not in the top 10 either, I'm afraid, mate. Sorry. That's fine. Stato, last guess. Yep. Uh, We haven't had number one yet, have we? We haven't had number one. So, older than Burnley. Um, I'm going to say... Uh, Norwich Norwich I don't think they are on the list Damn no mate. sorry no. they aren't on the list either sorry mate That's zero points for your last right. guess nil point nil point I mean, obviously now having a massive mind blank about who are actually in those in the top two divisions but um <clears throat> I'm going to go Blackburn Rovers. Yes, mate. Well done. They are sixth. So that's five points for you there. So, well played. Actually, after Stato got the second answer uh, with his first guess, he only actually got another point with Fulham. So, Stato, you ended up with 10 points from that round. And Morgs, you ended up with 10, 12, 17 points. So, I'll um, I'll just go through the list quickly. So, number one was Preston North End. Who've been at Deepdale since 1878. Two was Burnley, who have been at Turf Moor since 1883. Three was Barnsley, who have been at Oakwell since 1887. Four was Wolves, who have been at Molyneux since 1889. Five was Sheffield United, as you said, Bramall Lane since 1889. Six was Blackburn, who have been at Ewood Park since 1890. Seven was Liverpool, who have been at Anfield since 1892. Eight was Newcastle, who have been at St. James's Park since 1892. Uh, nine was Everton, who have been at Goodison Park since 1892, although they'll be moving soon. And then 10th was us, Fulham, who have been at the Cottage since 1896. 
Um, other notable ones that you mentioned, Stato Luton, they have been at Kenilworth Road since 1905, and Norwich mm. have been at uh, Carrow Road since 1935. All right, round two is Focus Fortunes. You're going to get five guesses each at this. It's the lineup from the 2006 6 1 victory against uh, last weekend's visitors, West Brom. So, oh, need you to tell me the players that started that game. So, I'm going to come to you first, Morgs, this time. Give me a name. Uh, oh, Papa Booba Diop. Papa Booba Diop. Uh, did not play in that game, I'm afraid, yeah, mate. Uh, he scored. That must be another one. Uh, 2005 06. Was it 05 06 I can't remember. Me neither. Don't know. Let's just say <laughs> in 2006. In 2006. Just, yeah. just a 6 1 win. <laughs> Brian McBride. Brian McBride did play in that game. Well yeah. done, mate. Uh, Morgs, second guess. Uh, Thomas Rodzinski. Thomas Radzinski, what a legend. He did make an appearance from the beginning of that game. Point to you. Well done, mate. Stato. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, I was say goalkeeper. Anthony Amy. Anthony Amy, well done, mate. That's a point to you. Yeah. Uh, Morgs, third guess. Uh, oh, God. Um, I will say Mark Pembridge. Mark Pembridge is not on the list, I'm afraid, mate. Yeah, a bit early. Stato, back, back to you. Third um, Moritz Voltz. Moritz Voltz did play it right back. Well done, mate. Another point. Clawing this back slowly but surely. Uh, Carlos Bocanegra. Bocanegra did play. Well done, mate. Stato. Um, we had McBride up for... Heider Helgeson. Well done, mate. Yeah, yes. Helgeson did play as well. Last guess for you, Morgs. I will go with Ian Pierce. Ooh. Ian Pierce uh, was nowhere near the team. That oh, day, I'm afraid, mate. Sorry. That's on. Yeah, bad times. Stato, last guess for you. Um, let's see. Bocanegra was in the team. Volta's in the team. Yeah, mate. Who would have been left back? Frank Quedrew. No, mate, sorry. Uh, it was Wayne Bridge who was playing I, left back that day. Oh, so, wow. But you had a good round that round. You got four in that round, and Morgs only got two. So that puts you on 14 points, Stato, and Morgs is on 19. Uh, let me just read out the full lineup from that 6 1 demolition of West Brom. It was Niami in goal. The defence was Volts, Bocanegra, Zat Knight, and Wayne Bridge. Then you had right. Thomas Radzinski, Simon Elliott, Steve Malbronk and Lewis Boamorte in midfield with Brian McBride and Heide Helgeson up front. And then on the bench, you had Tony Warner, Alan Goma, Nicholas Jensen, Sylvain Legvinsky and Collins John. So oh. there we go. Simon right. Elliott, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Another, another legend. OK, so this is the final round. Round three, guess the player. Um, you know the drill. You get you get one guess each, and once you guess, then you're frozen out. Um, if you get it from the first guess, then you'll get eight points. Second guess, you'll get seven points. Third guess, six points, etc., etc. Until the eighth guess, 
uh, sorry, the eighth point where you'll only get one point. So get ready to shout your name out. This player, fact number one, this player is five foot nine tall. Fact number two, he has played in the top two divisions for Fulham. Fact number three, he's captained his country. Fact number four, he has made 128 appearances in all competitions. Fact number five, he scored six goals for Fulham. Six goals, Fact, fact number six, he's a current manager at an English club. Um, fact number um, seven. He was the first permanent signing of the Shahid Khan era. Um, fact number eight, and the last one, he holds a record for playing for the most London clubs in the Premier League with five. Um, is it oh. Parker? I'm sorry, I didn't hear a name shouted out then. Uh, Stato. <laughs> Stato, go on, Stato. Is it Parker? It is Scott Parker. Well done, mate. You get <laughs> That's an extra a trick question there. right there. You get an extra point that takes you up to 15. <laughs> but this week's winner is Morgan with 19 points. Well done, mate. That first Woo! round saw you through. Because <laughs> the rest so. of it was crap. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the best, but you know, you, you did your work early on. That's, yeah, yeah. that's fine. Bloody loot <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. Morg, Stato and I will be back on Thursday morning to preview Saturday's match at Hillsborough. And I'll also be joined by a Fulham Focus legend to talk about a Fulham legend. Until then, check out all our other content over at FulhamFocus.com and please rate us on your podcast app of choice. It really does help us to grow. In the meantime, those of you in the UK, enjoy this Indian summer. And to one and all, have a fantastic week. Until Thursday, then. Cheers.